0: Thank you. All right. Good evening. Good to see you guys here this evening. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to First Timothy, and we'll continue that study tonight. And we've got a good one for you tonight. Uh, this is a good night for you to be here. The title of the sermon is "A Good Fight in the Church." And I, Brandon picked out a perfect song for the for the sermon tonight. A sermon on "Keep it on the Fire In Line." Uh, and uh we he could have went with I'm in the Lord's army, right? We could have went with that one, but uh don't don't ask me to do those hand motions here tonight. I I probably could. Uh I ain't gonna do it. Anyway, <laughs> I thought about it. I like, can I can I do that? I can zoom over the enemy and uh, but I I won't do that. Uh but anyway, first Timothy chapter one. So far we've been looking at we're coming to the end of chapter one, and the whole first chapter is really about the message of the church. You guys know that we're talking about the church. And the priority of, of Paul writing to Timothy is that we've got to get the message right. So he's told us here in the first chapter what the message shouldn't be. And they were focused on that, kind of on some silly, strange things. And, he, and then he went to what it must be. Again, because if we're going to be a church, the number one thing we've got to get right above all else is the message. You've got to get the message right. And that's what he's going to show us here tonight. I think this is the heart of the whole book of 1 Timothy, is he wants us to fight for the truth. That this is the main thing in the church, we got to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is worth fighting over. There are some things in the church that is would not be worth fighting over. There's some things that we'll talk about that in a minute that are bad fights, and you don't want to fight in the church over certain things. But there's one thing in particular that we should fight over. We want to be at peace, but we're not going to be at peace with a co- at the cost of of the truth. So he's going to tell us here tonight that a good fight in the church is uh, is a fight over the truth. So, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm just going to read to you three verses, and we're going to look at a good fight in the church. And we'll we'll work our way through these three verses tonight. And uh, I told Isaiah that I would be done in about 20 minutes, and he said, There's no way you'll be done in 20 minutes tonight. So, my boy knows me. Uh, Starting in verse 18 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, it says, This charge. And that charge would go back to verse 3, where he said that thou mightest charge some. It's the same thing. You could draw a line. In my Bible, I've got a room to draw a line. Uh, So he says, this charge, the same thing he said in the first verses, I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. And I would underline that section there. It it actually is war a good warfare or fight a good fight. And then it says, holding faith and good conscience which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. That is a tough verse right there. We'll look at what it means in a second. But let's go ahead and pray, and we'll look at a good fight in the church. Father, we come to you tonight, and we ask for your help in studying this. I know it's just a short, simple three verses. But I think there is some great, deep, and even scary truths here. Uh, And and we need to learn these things as a church. And God, I pray that when we've done it here, and when we do it here, we fight for the truth. And I pray, God, that we would continue, as that song said, on the firing line. That we wouldn't let up. That we would continue to fight in this war, in, in, in our world, for the truth. So God, help us to do that tonight. And to understand these things so that we can war a good warfare. And we can fight a good fight. So God help us tonight, and we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. Churches are full of bad fights. I think any of us who's been had any experience whatsoever in the church would would agree with me that that you've seen or heard of or been a part of some really bad fights in the church, some fights that aren't worth fighting over. We've seen them. We've been a part of them. And, and to be honest, I stood back there in the foyer several years ago and was arguing with several of the of the guys in the church at that, at that time, and I stopped them in the middle of the fight, and I said, do you realize that this isn't worth fighting over? This is silly right here, what we're doing. Those words came out of my mouth. I can quote myself. I said, this is a silly fight. We've seen that. We've been in those fights. And I can give you some true stories here. These aren't my stories. These are stories that a man wrote a blog and they asked several people, readers, to send in some silly fights that they had. And these are serious, silly fights, actual fights that they had in church. And I think we can all kind of understand this. Just three or four of them. There was a church that got in a fight over the type of coffee they were going to serve in the church. Some wanted Starbucks, some wanted uh, Folgers, and there was actually some people that left the church over what type of Starbucks they were going to or coffee they were going to have in the church. It's sad. There was some that, that uh, wrote in and said they had a church fight over whether they would sing happy birthday in the church to the congregants every week. Some people wanted to sing and some people didn't and, and there was a, a, a fight over. They got in an argument and, and again, they split over. Some people left over happy birthday in the church. There was, and this was one of my favorites, there was a church that got into a fight over whether to call their dinner a potluck or a pot blessing. Some people in the church said that they shouldn't use the word luck. Luck is not a Christian word, so we need to call it a, a pot blessing. And there was a, a fight in the church over that. And, and I read that and I thought, I, I, I hope they never hear about deviled eggs. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one, wasn't it? <laughs> And there was another fight over the, the church that had, had gotten some land and then half the church wanted to use it for a playground and the other ch- half wanted to use it for a cemetery. They were fighting over it. That's two completely different directions on how to use land, but they were fighting over it. And, and there's more that I could give you. There was probably 25 of these stories in the blog that I read, and, and we could add even more of our own. I, can, I have stories that I could tell. I've got war stories that I've experienced and been a part of, and you've got war stories in, in your life that you've seen and you've heard and you've been a part of, of some bad fights in the church. And all these would be funny if at the end it didn't lead to anger and division and splits and churches over here and churches churches over there and sometimes even running people out of the church where they never come back so these 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 bad fights can cause a lot of trouble in the church and we should never fight over these bad silly things but there are things in church worth fighting over Just because we've seen bad fights doesn't mean that there's not good things to fight about. And there is. And there's things that are worth fighting over in the church. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here. A timid Timothy, he's telling him, don't you lay back. You need to to step ahead and you need to, to go to war and fight a good warfare. In verse 17, his, his eyes were lifted in a doxology unto him. He, he's talking here, verse 17, he says, "Under the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. He's he's worshiping and his eyes is, is up. And then in verse 18, his eyes go down. It's almost like he's looking at Timothy eye to eye. And he says, son, you see that there? He says, son, soldier. And this comes from a Experienced, battle-tested, courageous Paul to a timid young Timothy. And he says, son, like a father to his son. And he says, war a good war. Fight a good fight. And what he's saying here is, I'm sending you to war. He's saying, I'm sending you to go to battle. I'm giving you marching orders. I'm calling you to action. Timothy, son, it's time to go to war. This is not a time for peace. This is not a time for everybody to sing kumbaya and get along. Timothy, defend the church. Timothy, fight. Timothy, don't give an inch. Here's what you're to fight for, and here's what you're to fight over. We fight for, and we fight over the truth. That's a good fight. We fight for and we fight over the faith and the gospel. And he's telling him here, defend it with your life, even if it kills you. The Puritans were known to be more scared of false teaching than they were of martyrdom. They'd rather lose their life than give an inch on the truth of the gospel. And that's what Paul's calling Timothy to here. And not just to Timothy, I think he's calling it uh, all pastors. I think this this passage primarily is is aimed with a, a big bullseye eye on, on me, but I think there's application for everybody in here that there's a good thing to fight over. And, and you need to join the fight as your pastor fights for the gospel. So we're going to look at that tonight and we're going to learn a good fight in the church. I've got an easy outline for us here, three points. Uh, I just want to work our way through it. I, I think it'll go verse 18, and I think it'll go verse 19, a point, and then verse 20. So starting there in verse 18, I want to show you the command to fight. He is commanded here to fight in verse 18. He's told, this is your job. This is your duty. This is what you're called to do. He says, this charge, and that's what that is. It's a command. This is a military command. This is strict orders from a commanding officer. And that commanding officer isn't even Paul. I think Paul is saying these things, but it's not coming from Paul. If you look at verse 1, he says, an apostle by Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is coming from God to Paul to Timothy. It's a command from God, an order, a military order that comes from God. You do this. And he does this in several places. My favorite one would be 2 Timothy 4.1. You don't have to turn there, but I love, I charge thee. And he says, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. That's a command. It's the job of a pastor to preach the word. And he's telling him, here, here's your, here's your command. Here's your job. Here's your, here's your duty. Here's the assignment that God is giving you, Timothy. This is your job. This is your assignment. Go to war. That's what that's what it is. War, or good warfare. That's his duty as a pastor. Pa- Timothy, you are duty bound. Pastors, you are duty bound. This is your job. Do what you are told to do and fight for the truth in your church. I don't think Christians understand today what duty means. I think most people, and I, I don't only really say Christians. I think most people have no idea what the word duty means. We do what we want to do. That's how we live our lives. But if you look in the Bible, we are duty-bound people. We don't do what we want to do. We do what we are, are told to do. And that's what he's telling Timothy here. You have something you're told to do. You may not want to fight right now. You may not feel like fighting right now. But what you're called to do is to fight for the truth. Go to war, Timothy. Do what you're told to do. So it's first a command. And then he goes on there and he says, and I commend unto thee thy son, Timothy. And if if, if the command from God doesn't do it, he says, then think back to your call. You're not just commanded to fight. You are called to fight. This is a part of your calling. Look what it says in in the next step. According to the prophecies which went before on thee. That's a strange statement. But what he's saying there is remember your calling. Remember go go back to when you were called go back to when you were affirmed go back to when the leaders of the church laid their hands on you and affirmed the spiritual gift on your life go back to when men laid hands on you and said you're called to preach the gospel go back to when you surrendered to the ministry go back to that time when you knew at the bottom of your heart God called you to preach 1st Timothy 4:14 He says, neglect not the gift that is in thee which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. 2 Timothy 1 says, basically similar to the same thing. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of of my hands. For God has not given the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of sound mind. He's telling him to go back to a time when he realized he was called to do this. He wants Timothy to remember he was called of God. Chosen of God. It's good sometimes to remember your calling. It's good to remember what God has called us to do. I remember that as, as distinctly in my mind as I possibly can. There was a Sunday evening and, and the pastor of the pound, First Baptist Pound brought me back to the church and, and there was all these men that I love and that I adore and that I think the world of. There was Jerry Lusk and there was Johnny Boggs and there was Mark Mullins and, and there was my dad and all these great men were standing in front of me and they had me sit down in front of the pulpit and they, they walked by and they would, Lay their hands on me and pray for me as as I was understanding the call of God upon my life. And any time I ever think of of stepping away and, and and it's too hard and it's too much and I don't want to fight anymore, I go back to the call of God on my life, called to fight a good fight. That's what he's telling him to do here. The work of a preacher is a profession of war, Martin Lord Jones said. Your calling is is to fight to go to war johnny's talking about it this morning when you know the will of god in your life there's no reason to be afraid there's no reason to be timid when you're walking in the will of god there's no fear so he's looking at timothy don't be scared god called you to this and if god called you to this god will take care of you in this and god will be with you in this timothy if you go to war god's with you in this war And what was the command and what was the calling to do? Look what it says. So you see the charge, that's the the command. And then he gives him the call, go back to your call on the laying of the the hands. And then he says that you would war a good warfare. It doesn't say, Timothy, you were called to be a therapist. It doesn't say, Timothy, you were called to keep the peace in the church. It doesn't say you were called to be a motivational speaker or to be a, a counselor or to, or to be a, 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 to coddle people or to take care of people. You, you do these things. It, it doesn't say that you were called to, to babysit the people like you would the kids in the nursery. Amen. If you want a babysitter to rock you to sleep, call your mom. If you want the truth, call your pastor. It says go to war. Timothy, this is what you have called to do. You're called to fight. To war good warfare. To fight, a, and that word good there is a noble war. An excellent one. Be a, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And this is, to fight a good warfare, that word warfare would be a campaign. It's not one battle and over. This is going to be an ongoing thing that you're going to be fighting these battles for the truth, the entire ministry. So fight a good warfare. It shows Timothy's in a war, and this isn't a physical war of hand-to-hand combat with with earthly weapons. This is a spiritual war against the devil, against evil, against false teachers, against error. And it's going to be coming at the church. He he established the church against the gates of hell, coming against it. And you've got a pastor that's got to stand up and be the leader of the church and fight the warfare. I understand Satan is after the church. Let me just give you a list here and I'll move on. Satan is out to steal, kill, and destroy. He's after our kids. Somebody's got to fight. He's after the marriages of the church. Somebody's got to fight. He's after churches. And there's too many pastors laying down their weapons. He's after our men. He's after our pastors. Nobody is in the the line of fire... Of Satan's attack like pastors. 1 Timothy 3.7 right here in front of us. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. Lest he fall into, the, into, the, into reproach and the snare of the devil. The pastor is in the bullseye of Satan all the time. He's after pastors. He's after the gospel. He wants to hide it. He wants to distort it. He wants to, to twist it. This idea of warfare is lost on most pastors and most Christians and most churches across America. We're oblivious to it. We're ignorant of it. It's lost on our feminized, sissified, non-confronted culture that we live in that nobody wants to fight. There's a reason we don't sing firing line anymore in churches because everybody just wants to rest and relax and be comfortable when there's a war going on. Fighting was common in Paul's day. He used that language all the time. Men were men. Pastors were pastors. And fathers were fathers. And husbands were husbands. And they knew that they had to fight to protect what God had given them. We need men to fight. We need men of valor. We need men like Martin Luther and Jonathan Edwards and George Whitefield and Charles Spurgeon. We need men that will stand up and fight for the truth in our day when everybody else is bowing down. So he looks at Timothy and he says, I command you, remember your calling and fight a good warfare. Timothy must rise to the occasion, meet this head on. That's the command that he gives him. Don't bow out. A Christian is a military person. Fight a good warfare. That's the command. Number two, I want to give you the commitment to the fight. I love what he tells him to do here. Here's how you fight. And it's not really a, a, a hard fight what he tells us to do in verse 19. I think it's, it's actually, a, a it, it's, it says simple, it sounds simple, but it's, it's not very simple because he says, here's what you got to do. Verse at 19, holding faith and good conscience. Now, that's the two things. Only two things you got to do here. Be committed to the faith and to your conscience. I want you to get those things. If I, and I, if I were you, I would, I'd write those two things down. Holding the faith and good conscience. And he says holding here, and then that word means, you guys know what it means to hold. It's like when we take Hallie and Emma, who again, she weighs about 35 pounds soaking wet. Hallie weighs about 25 pounds already. And she'll look at it and said, can I hold Hallie? And we'll give her to to Emma and we'll say, okay, and here's what we say to her, hold on to her. Hold on to her tightly. Don't let her go. Don't you dare even let your grip go for a second. And that's the word here that is using, holding. Don't you dare let go of this. You fasten on to this. And what he's saying here is Satan is on the shore trying to take the beach. Timothy, hold your ground on these things. Don't you dare let up. Don't you dare let your guard down. Don't you dare stop. Hold. Defend the shore or die trying. Hold your ground. Don't loosen your grip. Get a death grip on these two things. And what is it? And I want every one of you guys to get a death grip on these things. Get a death grip on... He says here, faith. And there's some arguing about what faith means here. but I think it means the faith. I think it's what Jude 3 says when he says contend for the faith which was once and for all delivered unto the saints. I think it means guard your doctrine. I think it means know what you believe. I think it means that you need to, to know what the Bible says, what the Gospel says, and you need to grab onto it and you don't let go. You don't deviate from one side to the other. You hold on to it. You don't swerve in any direction. You grab on to the truth of the Bible and don't you dare let go don't give an inch and church we need to do that grab on to the bible and don't let go no matter what the culture does don't let go you say what does this mean i could give you several places we're in second 2 timothy two fifteen. it says study it study your, study yourself to show yourself approved a workman study the truth study the faith Protect it, 1 Timothy 6. Teach it, 2 Timothy 2. Preach it, 2 Timothy 4. Love it. Cherish it. Don't let go of it. Don't move one single inch. Hold on to it with your life. It's happened where people are letting it go. You get a death grip on this thing and don't you dare let go. You get a death grip on this. And you hold it like we tell Emma to hold Hallie. You get a death grip on this when culture is trying to get you to swerve one way or the other and don't you dare move from the truth of the Word of God. This has been once and all delivered to you. It's been from God to Paul, from Paul to Timothy and down the line and it's in our hands now and don't you dare let up from this. No matter what anybody tells you, no matter what anybody else does, no matter if the crowds go down or the crowds go up, we don't deviate from the truth of the Word of God. And many have. It happens today. Churches start losing their grip on the Word of God. And they start doing, swerving to another direction and and finding the philosophy of man and, and the psychology of the world. And they're slipping, their fingers are slipping away from the Word of God. Denominations do this. Right now, today, the Southern Baptist Convention is losing its grip on the Word of God. Whole churches lose their grip on the Word of God. It happened in Ephesus. It happens here today. All it takes is a little compromise and you loosen your grip. And before you know it, you're shipwrecked. All it takes is a little compromise. All it takes is swerving one little bit. I heard a story just just Friday about a car accident. They were describing the car accident, and it said, it just took one little swerve, and before we knew it, the car was flipping just riding down the road and and got off on the side of the road just a little bit. I mean, all it took was a a little bit in in the gravel. And before you know it, our car is is flipping and and it's tumbling and and there's blood and it's a mess. And I thought, that's exactly what he's saying here. All it takes is is just a little bit. And before you know it, the church is tumbling down and, and straying from the truth. You know, that happens in your life too. All it takes is a little bit. And before you know it, you go to the next one. Hold on to the the truth and then a good conscience. Because doctrinal compromise always leads to moral compromise. And that's what he's talking about, the conscience. It says here, holding on to your a good conscience. Paul loves to talk about a conscience. If I had more time, I didn't have a 20 minute limit on me tonight. I take you to 1 Timothy 1.5, which is right there on our page, where he talks about a good conscience. I take you to, to 1 Timothy 3.9, where he talks about a good conscience. 2 Timothy 1.3, Acts 23.1, uh, Acts 24.6, Romans 9.1. Over and over and over, Paul talks about having a, a good conscience. He's always mentioning that, and you say, well, what is that? Our conscience is a God-given, this is the way I'll describe it tonight, a God-given GPS. That is a, a moral GPS that, that should, and it doesn't always do that. Because we don't always listen to the God-given GPS. It's like old Josh. I don't always listen to the call given GPS. Siri, get me to, to such and such place. Okay, take this ride. I don't want to take that ride. <laughs> I think Siri's wrong. I think Google Maps is, is wrong. I think I can get there my own way. And I can't stand when Google Maps tells me, turn around, turn around, turn around. Here's a U turn. Take this exit. I'm going my own way. I think she gets mad at me sometimes. I holler at her. No. She's going to holler back at me one day and say, well, don't ask me next time. We have a moral GPS within our, you know, our, our soul that God has given to everybody called a conscience and it should be a God and and I'm not not saying it's a feeling I it's our conscience again it's not feelings I feel like I should do this and I feel like I should do that or I'm going to follow my heart or I'll I'll follow my heart here no those things can lead you in the wrong direction this is a, a conscience that that should be should be biblically informed and influenced that if you're in a church and you're reading your Bible and you know it, your conscience will guide you to right and to wrong, to good and to evil. And we have to listen to that conscience. We have to make sure that we're we're not doing what I do to the, to the GPS and say, no, I'm to. many people do that with their conscience. Their conscience will say, don't do that. And we talk back to the conscience and we say, I'm doing it anyway. Or don't go there, I'll go there anyway. Or do this, no, I don't want to do that. We all know the peace and well-being of certain things that we do. And we all know the guilt and the shame and the remorse of other things that we do. There's guilt and there's shame and there's remorse when we don't follow our conscience. And there's peace and well-being when we do follow our conscience. We all know that. And if we too often don't listen to our conscience and we go the wrong way, the conscience becomes more and more silent. And you would develop a seared conscience, is what Paul calls it. So he says here hold on to your conscience, which would be listen to your conscience. Don't stop listen, listening to or following your conscience. Don't give an inch. Don't compromise. And we, we're seeing that all over our culture and in churches today. Everybody's just giving a little bit of a, of a compromise to do certain things. And, and you see it in churches. Well, this ain't too bad. Or this ain't too bad. And we'll let, the, we'll let this in. And we'll let that in. And, and before you know it, it's full-blown compromise morally. And you're shipwrecked. Doctrine and morals go hand in hand. I've seen people... Change their morals and change their doctrine just so they'll match the morals, so they make, make themselves feel better. But disobeying your conscience will shipwreck your life. Disobeying the conscience will send us in the wrong direction. And that's exactly what happened here with these two guys. There's two things to hold on to the faith and a good conscience. You hold on to those two things and they become the rudders of your life that keep you going in the right direction. Church, you hold on to those two things and it'll be the rudders that keep you going in the right direction pastors and that's what he's telling Timothy pastor you hold on to the faith and you hold on to your morals and when you hear the word "conscious," there he's saying the morals how you live your life that you don't swerve or sway away from doing the right thing that you're always doing the right thing and and he's saying that make sure your, your doctrine and your morals are always going in the same direction and in that way you'll never shipwreck you'll never go away and shipwreck your life ruin your life and that's what happened with these two And that's my last point. If I showed you the command to to fight, the commitment in the fight, I'm going to show you the two casualties of the fight. Two guys who shipwrecked their faith. Two guys who didn't hold on to. And it says here, it wasn't really the morals that, that, that lost them. And morals will lose a lot of people. It'll shipwreck a lot of lives. That you, you fall into some sin like we were talking about this morning. And it, and it shipwrecks your life. But this wasn't really what they were doing. It says, holding faith and good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith. That's where they shipwrecked. You see that? Paul's telling Timothy, hold on to your doctrine, what you believe. Hold on to your morals, how you live. That's the fight. If you hold on to those two rudders, it will keep you straight. If, you, if not, if you lose one or the other, you're going you're to head towards shipwreck. And Many have done this. I've said that many have fallen into sin morally and doctrine in error. So he says, here's two guys that did that. And Paul names names. Paul wasn't afraid to say, here's these guys. He wasn't afraid to say, Timothy, here's these two guys. You know them. You prayed with them. You preached with them. You studied with them. You ate with them. You had coffee with them. Everybody in the church knows them. And they made a a shipwreck of their faith because they didn't hold on to the truth. Who were they? Hymenaeus and Alexander. You say, who in the world are these two guys? Well, there's two guys that you don't want to be because you ended up in the Bible as a bad example. Second Timothy 2 mentions them again. It says in verse 16, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. Philetus must be the third amigo. I, I don't know. Hymenaeus again. He says he, he's done this. He eats like a canker, and he got Second Timothy four fourteen talks about him again. Alexander the coppersmith did much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. So Paul has, uh, calls these guys out by name. Looks like they have, have have shipwrecked their faith. This happens all the time. It's usually one or two, and we've seen it. I think it's funny how this morning sermon goes with this tonight sermon. But anytime you see someone shipwreck their life, or ruin their life, or destroy their life, leave the church and go off on their own, it's one of two things. Here, it's either morally they fall into some kind of sin and they and they leave. They they've compromised in the area of sin. When they leave, you say, why do they leave? Well, they've fallen into some kind of of a more, uh, immorality and and sin, or they've fallen into into error and, and they've been pulled away, like we talked about this morning, by uh, false teachers, listening to somebody that they shouldn't listen to. So they're pulled away in that way. And we've seen it here. I saw it with one of my seminary buddies once. I was in a seminary class. I'll tell this and we'll move on to Hymenaeus and and, uh, Alexander. I won't name this guy. I was standing in line getting ready to ask a professor a question after class one day. This guy, I I, I probably was sinning by accidentally overhearing what they were talking about. And by accidentally, I was doing this right here. And he was talking about serious matters. He's, he's he said, Doctor, I, here's my problem. I don't believe the Word of God is the Word of God anymore. And the professor said, Well, what do you mean? He said, Well, it started with the book of Hebrews, and, and I don't know who the author is, and I, and I don't believe that, that Hebrews even belongs in the canon, and it, it shouldn't be there. And I'm sitting there listening, I'm saying, Whoa, whoa what is this guy doing? And I'm thinking, professor, hammer him. Tell him it's true and it's infallible and it's inerrant and 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 it's the word of God. Tell him. And the professor looked at him and said, well, what would we really be missing if we didn't have Hebrews? It's not that big a deal. And I thought, and in my head, I mean, I was young, 27 years old. And I thought, that guy's about to shipwreck his soul. He's headed in the wrong direction, and he needed somebody to pull him back and put him in the right direction. And that professor didn't do it at all. I didn't even ask my question. I said, I don't even, I don't even want to know this guy's answer now. And you, want, you don't want to know where that guy's at now. I don't know if it started there or somewhere else, but just a little bit of, I don't believe Hebrews should be there. And before you know it, he's shipwrecked. We see it in churches all the time. And what happens when they do? Here's the question. What happens when somebody in the church swerves morally? Compromises morally. They start doing things living how they shouldn't live. Or they, they fall into error in believing things they, they shouldn't believe. They're going one way or the other. They're, they're swerving doctrinally or they're swerving morally. They're, they're off in some kind of things that they shouldn't be. And what happens? And he, and he gives an example here. What did he do to Hymenaeus and Alexander? This is severe. He says, whom I have delivered unto Satan. What in the world? It says he hands them over, delivers them unto. And the word here is to violently cast off. And, and the commentary said to violently cast off like you would cast off a shirt that was on fire. That's how they, he handed them over to Satan. Delivered them over to Satan. You say, well, that, that's, that's awful. Why would he do that? To protect the church. And to correct them. This is church discipline. He's taking them. And here's what it is. You say, what does it mean to deliver unto Satan? He takes them. And you need to understand this. Inside the church. And this may be where everybody here needs to, to get this. This is how important the church is. Inside the church... You have, you are under God's protection, under God's care, and in fellowship with God's people. You're being taught God's word. This is being a part of a local church, the safest place in the world for a Christian. God will protect you and care for you within the body of his people. And outside the church is Satan's domain. Outside the church is out of fellowship. Outside the church is you're not a part. So when you are outside the church, you're stepping out from God's protection and God's care and the fellowship with God's people and the teaching of His Word. And it's the most dangerous thing or dangerous place anyone can ever go. Don't be outside the church. And I don't mean outside the building. I mean outside of fellowship. So as a punishment to these these two who were in some error, Paul churched them. It's church discipline, but they were no longer allowed to be a part of the church. They were not allowed, and and they say that the worst thing in the world for them is they were not allowed to take the Lord's Supper. And when they came to church, they could come into the church. They weren't allowed to be a part. And they'd come to the table and they'd say, you you can't take. You're in some sin or some error and you're not allowed to do this. There are certain things in the church that only those who are right with God get. You can't have this. So Hymenaeus, Alexander, you're not in the church anymore. You are left out there to Satan and his devices. And people in that day, that's the worst thing that you could ever have happen. To them, being a part of the church was a huge deal. In our day, if you church discipline somebody, you know what they do. Well, okay, I don't have to go to church anymore. That's fine. i will going start me a church down the road somewhere. And, and well, I'll have my, my own little church. And it, it ain't no big deal. Church discipline is, is no big deal at all to most people anymore. Some churches don't even take sin serious enough to do it anymore. But it was so serious then. This is a punishment. They're handing them over to the devices of Satan. And I thought to myself, who else has been handed over to Satan in the Bible? To let Satan have his way with them. Because that's what happens. That's what happened to these two. And that's what happens when you church discipline somebody. You say you're you're no longer you no longer belong here. You're out there in Satan's domain, out from under the, the protection and the care of God. I don't know about you guys, but I must be under the care of God at all times. I don't want to be out there. So let me, let me just, a, just a few people who were out from under the care of God and handed over to Satan. I was going to look it up before I left, but I, I didn't have time. But Saul in the Old Testament was taken out from under the care of God and placed in the hands of Satan. There's a verse actually there that said Satan tormented him troubled him to the point where in that chapter i think it's first samuel 16 he acted like a crazy man and he eventually ended up falling on his own sword i'll give you another one it happened to job and god said okay satan have your way with him but don't take his life talked about it this morning it was brutal it was unreal What Satan was allowed to do, again, allowed to do by God to Job. Destroyed his life, because that's what Satan is. He'll still kill and he'll destroy your life. He's not going to build up your life. He's not going to do good things to you. He's not going to bless your life. He's going to destroy your life. And that's exactly what he did to Job. He destroyed it. And then there was another one. I I could take you to to Judas. He said, okay, you're handed over to Satan. And he was handed over to Satan. And how did he end up? He ended up committing suicide and dying. His life was destroyed. Peter, Jesus looked at him and said, Satan wants to sift you as wheat. He wants to destroy you. And I'm going to let him. Paul was given a thorn in the flesh that was given to him by Satan. I'll give you another one. I just went down the list of all the the people that had been handed over to to Satan. and, And some of these were handed over as punishment. And others were handed over so that they'll learn and grow. Jesus was handed over at his temptation and took the most impossible temptation that anyone could ever take. Unbelievable, and yet was without sin. It's almost like when you're handed over to Satan or your church disciplined, the bullseye of Satan is on you. And when Jesus was tempted in all likes, like we were, the bullseye was on him. And Peter, when, when Jesus said he wants to sift you as wheat, the bullseye came on him. Because he had, to, had so many things that he was going to do that he had to, to learn through some fiery trials. This is not the place you want to be. Do you know how dangerous it is to be the bullseye of Satan? I have seen this firsthand. And I'm sure Johnny could tell you stories in his experience as a pastor. And it happens in two ways. That you'll church this one somebody, and they'll go out and they don't even realize it. And you don't see it. Most people don't even, don't even say, hey, look what Satan's doing to them. But they'll leave the church out from under the care and the protection of God, and you'll see their life. It may not happen immediately, but Satan will destroy their life. I've seen it over years just businesses destroyed. Marriage is torn apart. Kids destroyed. Unreal what happens. I've seen it another way. We're not, not just the church, this one way. But sometimes God takes people out of the church without even us having to, have to, to discipline them because He knows better than we do. And they'll get out in some moral error or some doctrinal error and they'll go away from the church and they're out from under the, the care and the protection of God within the church and... Same thing, business is destroyed and marriage is destroyed and kids destroyed and unreal. It's the scariest place you'd ever want to be. And that's exactly what Paul did to Hymenaeus and Alexander. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy to do to the false teachers who are left there. Go to them and tell them they're out. Fix your ways Now you can see why Timothy's a little timid. You say, well, it doesn't sound very loving to shoot your wounded or wash your hands with them. But he says there at the end of verse 20, here's the whole reason for it, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So something that they were believing was blasphemous he said, you're, you're, you're delivering them to Satan and you're disciplining them in that way so that they may learn not to do that anymore. It's almost like you whip your kids and, you, and your kids look at you. And I, I've told you this story. Dad used to whip me. He had a paddle with my name on it. I remember when I got old enough to be paddled, he handed me the paddle. He said, son, write your name on this paddle because you're going to get whipped with it a lot. I wrote Joshua on there. And I thought, dad will never whip me. He loves me too much to whip me. I'm a good boy handed it back to him it wasn't too long I was over his knee and he was I'd cry and dad would say this hurts me worse than it does you and I'd say dad's a liar and the truth ain't in him (laughs) there's no way this hurts him worse than it hurts me does he not know how this feels and every time he was doing he was correcting Josh and correcting Josh and his heart was breaking I know because I've whipped my boys I know how that feels and I've said that to my boys, this, this hurts me worse than it does you. And they're saying, my dad's a preacher, and he's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll, they'll, they'll learn soon. And every time, dad was correcting me. And every time I'd want to go out and do wrong again, I'd say, nothing, I don't want that paddle no more. I better not do that. Dad was teaching me not to do that anymore. That I may learn not to do whatever it was I was doing. And I learned my lesson. Dad, I didn't get paddled near as much after that. So that's what he's teaching them here. That you may learn. Learn your lesson. Don't do that. This is correction. This is being trained through pain. (laughs) The goal was for them to realize their error. And to come back in the church and be in fellowship again. That's the goal. It's never to be mean and say, Hit the road, Jack! And don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. That's not the goal. That's a song if you didn't know. That's not what we're after. We don't want to do, you know, just leave the church. We don't like you. We don't want you. And you're gone. No, there's error in the church. Doctrinal. We don't want that here. And go until you can fix that. And then you're allowed back. Or there's sin in the church. And and just a little bit of sin in the church will cause the whole church to fall into sin. We don't want that. Get out until you repent. And then you can come back. But we're correcting you. And you know that's the worst church growth strategy in the entire world? These big mega churches would never kick anybody out. But the best churches in the world aren't the biggest churches in the world. They're the most pure churches in the world. Amen. So the, the purpose of this was to set them back on track. Theologically to set them back on track. Morally to set them back on track. And I want to say this. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. The best pastors in the world will keep you morally straight. And the best pastors in the world will keep you theologically straight. And I know that because the best dads in the world will keep his kids straight. If my dad would let me do whatever I wanted to do, it's untelling how old Joshie would have ended up. And if a pastor lets his people believe whatever they want to believe... Teach whatever they want to teach and live however they want to live, it's untelling how that church will end up. And there's so much of that that goes on in churches today because people don't want to be held accountable to what they believe and how they live. Yeah. But a good pastor will make sure his people have those two rudders that are keeping them in a the straight line. You want a pastor that'll watch you and how you live, you want a pastor that'll teach you the right things from the Bible. You want a pastor, and that, that's a good church. Have you ever asked, have you ever said, say, "Ask anybody, what, what do you think is a good church? And they say, one that'll discipline you. <laughs> you don't hear that. But the best churches will keep you in line, will keep you from shipwrecking your faith. And when you shipwreck your faith, you're destroying not only yourself, but you're destroying others. And these two here, Hymenaeus and Alexander, had shipwrecked their faith. That's what it says. They've made a shipwreck of their life. They've made a mess of their life. They've, they've wrecked their life. They've destroyed their life. Because of two things. What they believe and how they lived. So in the church, we don't condone sin. We don't encourage sin. We don't overlook sin. We take sin serious and we go to war against sin. And we go to war against error because that's what we're called to do. So in closing, I'm just going to ask you, Sunday night church, most likely not, but are you in danger of a shipwreck? Is there some kind of moral thing that you're starting to swerve just a little bit on? That you're just starting to, to compromise just a little? The a culture is saying, you need to go ahead and do this. You got, you got to uh, just do it. The flesh is saying, do it and and and, and go that way. And, and there's so many of our, our teenagers that that gets that message from the world. It's all right. Everybody's doing it. Just do it. And and they're they're swerving from their conscience. And they're so close to to shipwrecking their life. I'm here tonight to tell you to come back. Repent of those things and get back back on track. Or maybe there's some kind of error that you're starting to fall into. And I tell people this all the time and I, I I make so many people so mad because there's such an easy drift into error. I see it more today through music than anything else. The music people are listening to is putting air in their heads. And I'm not talking even about rock music or heavy metal music or or you know, all those things that are out there. I'm talking about Christian music on the radio. Christian music, and I say Christian music in the church, that they're singing these songs from, from doctrinally and theologically nuts who are putting out some of the nicest sounding music that you could ever listen to. But it's full of doctrinal error. that's corrupting minds. And people will say, oh, it ain't that big a deal. Oh, it ain't that big a deal. Just a small little compromise into these things could shipwreck your faith. Just a little bit here and a little bit. Or that, I, I can listen to that guy. I hear that all the time. Uh, I can listen to this guy. He's on, he's on Facebook. He's a, he's a good preacher and he may be off on this and he may be off on that and he may be off here, but, but I like this and he's charismatic and, and he encourages me and he builds me up and I feel better after I'm listening to that guy. You are in danger of shipwrecking your faith. A little bit of leaven will leaven the whole loaf. You better be very careful who you listen to, who your kids listen to, who your wife listens to, because a little bit can shipwreck a faith. I get myself in trouble for that. Don't listen to that. That's nonsense. That's silliness. I preached a sermon last week about people who are not preaching the gospel. People come to me, who are you talking about? Who are you talking about? I know if I tell them, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Just a little bit here and a little bit there. You've got to be listening to the right people and you've got to be listening to people who preach the Bible, the gospel, the truth. The hold on to this. You say, well, my, my, that guy preaches the, the Bible. Does he? you got to be careful. So I'm asking you. Even family can do that, can they not? Oh, pull over here. Listen, believe this or live like that. We want to stay straight. We don't want to shipwreck our faith. So if you're in any danger of that, either way, please, please repent and pull back. Hold fast to the truth and to a good conscience. Notice he said good conscience. He didn't say conscience because our conscience can be bad. So hold fast to the faith and a good conscience. Let me encourage you tonight. Let me call you back. Right the ship before it wrecks. The Titanic. Just a little bitty hit on that rock. I've seen the movie a thousand times. I've been to the attraction and Pigeon Forge. I know that just, just a little bit here or a little bit there and they'd have missed it. Do you understand that? Thousands of lives were lost by just a little bit. And you watch the movie, and it's barely scraped down the side. How could that sink the unsinkable ship? Just a little bit. It'll bring you down. So, right the ship before it wrecks and makes a mess of your life. We've seen it in lives, we've seen it in churches. So, that's why Paul calls Timothy tonight. To war a good warfare because people's lives are at stake. I'm going to say that again, and that'll, that'll be it. He says, War a good warfare because people's lives are at stake. And people's eternity is at stake. It's a war of good warfare. It's a good fight fighting, church. Let's pray. Father. I know this is a tough passage to preach tonight, handing over to Satan and fighting for the faith. I, I get it. That, that's not something that most people want to come on a Sunday night and listen to, but it's the truth and it's necessary. And there's not a whole lot of these sermons being preached. I've not heard a lot of them. I've not preached a lot of them. But This is exactly what we need to hear in the church. This is, the church is a valuable thing. And we need to hold, guard it, hold fast to the truth. So God, help me. I think this is aimed at me. I think this is for me. And I hope there's some application for the people in the pews. But help me, God, to fight for the truth and to hold fast to a good conscience. To not swerve in any way. I know if I swerve, the church swerves. I'd get that. I know if I swerve, my wife swerves. If I swerve, my kids swerve. If I make a shipwreck of my life, I make a shipwreck of this church. If I make a shipwreck of my life, it's my wife and my kids. There's a lot at stake that weighs heavy on me, heavy. So God, help me as a pastor to hold fast to the truth and to a good conscience, to not swerve doctrinally or to swerve morally on what I believe or how I live, but help me to keep the straight and narrow. Please. And God, for where I've failed you in any way, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers that sin. And God, I pray for the fathers here tonight that they would fight for the truth, hold fast to a good conscience. I pray for every individual here, if there's anybody who's swerving one way or the other, so easy to do, that you'd pull them back, God. Thank you for a tough truth tonight that I needed to hear. I needed to study. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.